Hello, everybody. I'm David, the host. Ugh. Why can't I do this? I feel like a retard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm, it's not just me. me. I haven't got that wrong in ages. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. let's try that again. <clears throat> Three. <laughs> At least I have a genuine smile. Three, two, one. The Creatives with AI podcast, the spiritual home of creatives curious about AI and its role in their future. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Creatives with AI podcast. I'm your host, David. And on today's show, we have Tim Neves. Now, Tim founded Prospects Prospect Arts in 2002 as a vehicle to produce creative content with a focus on communicating stories of justice, hope and care for the environment. He has 17 years experience at making narrative-driven films. He's traveled over 2 million miles across Africa, Asia, and Central, South, and North America and Europe. Um, he's had the privilege of working on films with leading brands such as ITV, the U.S. Olympics, NBC, National Geographic, and he's led development on organizations such as Compassion, Food for the Hungry, Save the Children, and World Vision. We don't have enough time for me to go through his entire CV. Um, so I think I'm just gonna, we'll let him introduce himself and add, add to that a little bit as we move forward. So Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's <laughs> been a while since we caught up over coffee. It is. Yeah, it has been. talked about coming on your show. It has um, been. I think it's interesting, like even hearing you read, um, through some of that little background, it makes me think I need to update my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> It's a little, little. It's now twenty-two years as wow. opposed to seventeen. So, like, wow, I'm okay, five five years progressed. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's good to good to see you. No, and same. And thanks for coming on. We we met because we started. You were working on a film project, and you were looking for some funding, and talking about grants and and filling in grant applications and stuff. And and I'd had some experience recently with that through some of the public sector work that I had, but. What struck me was some of the projects that you work on are, I found were really, really interesting. And because you've got such a, 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 a long history working in film and film production and that sort of thing, I was really curious to get your thoughts on, you know, what you think about how the technology is moving forward and how AI can be a, how AI is going to fit into that in a, in a larger sense. And, you know, how it fits maybe into workflow and where you think it might go and how it might improve the business, but maybe what the risks are as well. So that was kind of why I wanted to have you on. And I know we had a really interesting conversation to start off with. So we can just continue that basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, first of all, I'm <clears throat> like probably a lot of people blown away by the kind of the swift development of AI. And it's easy to get into that sort of fearful place of thinking oh no this is gonna you know we're gonna lose our jobs i, d I don't honestly believe that's the case because i just think you know the the human creativity is i think transcends computer i think obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of great stuff with ai that certainly is already making our lives easier um and actually, I think it can help unlock greater creativity for the human brain in terms of kind of creating more time to be able to put into being creative rather than just the function of, you know, of getting to that place of you know, putting together your piece of work. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been quite amazing. I'm, I think probably back in, so back in 2019, um, this is kind of a good possibly starting point just to kind of in terms of how it's really impacting our work yeah sure we were doing we were doing a, a documentary um which went to netflix called brave blue world which is kind of looking at kind of the water crisis globally um and innovation that brings hope you know for for us as we look to the future and um i think at that time to be honest i wasn't massively aware of ai and I think we were we were hearing it more in the context of the water industry that we were filming, and you know how they're using kind of uh, you know AI and nanotechnology to help 
streamlined processes and early warning systems and um, improving flow and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think probably in the film, certainly from our, our side of the film industry, the AI stuff was probably very much more rudimentary. Like it, things weren't really built into the platforms that we were using. I mean, the kind of the kind of work that we do is not that kind of super high end um, VFX studio shoots. It's more kind of on the ground, you know, documentary talking to people gathering story in that in that capacity so i think from a from where we were in probably back in before the pandemic you know it was researching a documentary was you know a laborious effort of you know going on google searching for stuff reading through kind of collating notes moving things around and that over the last that's speaking for like for me personally has probably been the biggest transformation in our in in certainly my process and in terms of accelerating accelerating the creativity so i'm not the quickest writer in the world i can write well but it takes me time to get there and so to write down a proposal for a project you know back you know prior to the the tools that we all use everybody uses it you know it it does speed up the workflow. It doesn't, you know, I, I would never use, you know, things like ChatGPT and Bard and others to, to do the creative. Cause I just don't, I've not found it do, it works that well for me, but what I have found it really, if you feed it with information and then can kind of work through it yourself, it, it just means that I'm having more time to put to the creative thinking and shaping of things um and less time literally structuring out and i like silly little things like you know cutting down a paragraph from you know 400 words to 100 words all that yeah. kind of stuff is yeah. like literally is a dream so you know when i think about like brave blue world in pre-production you know we were you know probably two to three months to research and actually we kept on going through the process of production kind of researching stories and writing and developing ideas you know i'm currently working on a really really fast turnaround project um which is a another water documentary um project but the the timeline is absolutely insane and if it weren't for these tools literally it would be impossible <laughs> To, to actually to work to do this project so i think and this is where i think the challenge comes is obviously when technology moves on expectations shift as well yeah um so like i remember when i first started out 20 odd years ago you know you turn up on a shoot with you know a camera with a fixed lens and a mic on it and maybe like a boom <laughs> boom mic and a tripod nowadays when we turn up on a shoot you've got like two or three camera bodies probably about six or seven lenses radio mics boom mic gimbal drone you know you name it everyone wants it all it's because it's yeah the dump i guess the democratization of technology it all becomes cheaper which is great you know but just then the expectations you know shift so i don't i think that's probably yeah. like an, an initial initial little thought about you know from from my from my end in that kind of like producer director role i think in terms of re research and kind of writing and to very very quickly be able to get your head into things like particularly when doing something around technology that you might not you know i'm no expert i can't be an expert on everything i make a film about so in you know, in terms of very quickly being able to come up, get up to speed, you know, with with things, it's, it's like it's it's amazing. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think what's happened is is I don't know if you know the the hype curve, um, you know, but basically you start off and you get this new technology and then you just get you know there's this this like fever pitch yeah. of excitement about it, and then shortly after that you have what's called the trough of disillusionment and, <laughs> and it basically falls yeah. off a cliff where everybody, yeah. you know, it's all fun to play with in the beginning, 
But then it's like everybody has to say to themselves or everybody says to themselves, you know, okay, we, we've got to get real now. Like, how do we actually use this? And what I've noticed over the past kind of 12 months is that we've now gone through, I think, the peak of the hype cycle and it's now coming down the other side. And what, what I'm noticing is businesses, and, and it's just what you were talking about, is a lot of businesses are now finding how they fit it into their actual process. Do you know what I mean? It's not the whizzy stuff. You're not doing the creative stuff with it. You're not, or, or maybe you are, maybe you're using some of the tools. And I, I know we can talk about the tools that you use to do production and stuff. And I know there's been some, some hugely technological tools to help with that. And I know things like, you know, a lot of the, like, I don't know, the Adobe tools and everything are putting AI into everything. So you've got, you know, uh, Adobe Premiere Pro and you've got Audition and you've got all the different tools and you've got, you know, Resolve and you've got all that stuff who are now building AI elements into everything that they do. But it's, that's almost a side effect of the real use of it. I mean, I was talking to a guy named Steve a couple of weeks ago and he does, he has a company that does audio ads and he said, you know, they, they don't use um, they don't use AI voice technology to read the ads. They use AI voice technology to read 14,000 addresses for each store because no, no one wants to do that. So they have a real person do the voiceover for the ad. And then when it comes time to read the address, they just clone the voice and then they can have it read all the different addresses without a human having to do that. Mm. That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, we, interestingly, we did um, a project for we we worked for you know for a number of different nonprofit organisations, and uh, before Christmas, we were doing a very short little piece on Haiti. Uh, I don't know whether you know what's going on there, but there's it's just become incredibly lawless. Um, it's one of the most dangerous places currently on the planet and this organization i think we're kind of having to close down some of their operation because there it's a lot of gang kind of kidnappings and all that but they'd they produced this little film from there but they'd used ai voices on it and it just felt really weird i have to say yeah, like yeah. it just did not it just did not work um but i could see as you know you were from that other example you gave i could see how that would work when you're trying to you know mass produce you know a whole lot of different things one actually one of the things that i was talking with a um a friend about um so i'm not quite sure how much kind of to go in on on this but like this new startup that i'm working on which you know you helpfully gave a bit of advice on um in terms of the government grant but we were talking about how to open up content to a global audience better and this this could be relevant for yeah, a lot of the nonprofits that we work for, but equally from an entertainment perspective, you know, if you're producing or even, you know, or even e-learning videos or whatever, is, you know, is how you could create content and very, very quickly and inexpensively be able to put that out into multiple languages without like just like what we've done historically, which is, you know, subtitling or, you know, overdubbing with, you know, having to go and source you know, VOs from different regional accents and all that. But, you know, when you look at, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it now, you're, uh, what's that, that company out in the States that, you know, where you can upload a clip and then it can translate you and. Um, 11 labs. 11 labs. But it's that kind of thing, you know, where, you know, how that could be brought into the production world where, and I, it's only a matter of time before, you know, the likes of a you know Premiere Pro and Resolve have a tool like that where you know it can lips you know you can be speaking on camera and then all of a sudden your voice comes out with the same tone but in a you know, yeah. French Arabic you know yeah they, they um I think Eleven Labs is doing real time translation now um, right I think I just saw that but they just got eighty million dollars worth of funding as well to really grow the company. And I mm. have noticed that I, I used to subscribe in the beginning, but I, I was a subscriber because I wanted to really play around with it. What I found is, is that I don't actually use it that much. So I, I stopped paying for the subscription, but I do keep up with the news on what's going on. And I think the yeah. other, 
the other company that you're thinking about maybe is called Hey Gen, which is H E Y G E N, yeah. And that's yeah, the yeah. one where they can in a video, not only will they translate it, but they'll redo the mouth shape so it matches the shape of the word that you're saying, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine that you know would be an incredibly helpful tool for particularly for e-learning because you think you know these you know you take a university like you know in oxford who are probably putting out content i mean i know there are a number like Ber- berkeley college out in the states do a lot of online courses that they want to get out to the world but if you're a student out in india whose you know english is not your first language to be able to have that immediately being able to go out you all of a sudden you'll be able to reach a much much bigger market which i think i think was yeah from the documentary point of view i mean i think about brave blue world that got you know went to netflix was translated into i don't know how many languages but most of that subtitled how much more immersive and engaging with that content be to an audience if they can hear it in their own language where it's not i mean i don't know whether you've watched many I hate watching shows when they're overdubbed, you know, when you've got like, 100%. I remember, I remember yep. what, I remember watching, um, uh, money heist, you know, which is that great. I thought it was a great Netflix show back in the pandemic. You know, it's, and it's in Spanish. And I, I wa- was watching it in, you know, with, with subtitles. And then I, I saw that you could watch it, you know, in English. So I switched over and I was like, this just does not, <laughs> just does not work. But, you know, if it were, you know, the actor's voice and tone and lip sync, I don't know, would that feel weird? It, Probably I, not. I don't know whether you'd notice. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know. Um, and it's a good question. It's something I was talking about the other day. And I don't, I can't remember if it was on a podcast or not. So I apologize if I've talked about this already to, to anyone listening. But we were watching, we were watching what is that married at first sight show? But it was Sweden and it it could be anything though. There's been like, there was a French um, crime drama called spiral and you know, there was the bridge, which is a, you know, which was a, a Nordic noir type show. And my wife and I both agree that we love to watch it in its natural language with the captions because even though it's in a language that you don't know, you still get meaning from the intonation and the way that people say the words. And you mm-hmm. can you can get the emotion, even if you don't know what they're saying. You know somebody's yelling at you or you know in a bad way or you know someone's yelling at you in a good way kind of thing. And so, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, she switched it over to English, to the dubbing in English for a while because I was just sitting in the living room and she thought I might want to just hear it. And I was like, actually, no, just put it back. That's wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know if AI would be, I don't know how good it would get. I mean, at some point in the next five or 10 years, yeah, you probably won't be able to tell the difference. And it, you can put out mm-hmm. anything in any language and it will, it will get the intonation pretty correctly. But for now, I think it is still quite awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you do mostly you do mostly documentary type stuff, don't you? Is that yeah. did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. So, and that is where you know when there's obviously you know, a lot of fear around the exponential growth of AI, and there are there are other obviously other things that one yeah you know, one could talk about with that. But from a literally from a production point of view, it. It doesn't massively, it doesn't worry me in a sense that you can't replace human connection. And I think that's the thing, like, you know, sure, you know, you could use virtual studios, LED walls and create all of that kind of environment for TV commercials and feature films and stuff like that. But when you're talking about, you know, doing real life storytelling around stuff like climate change or human interest stories, which people want, you know, you know, seeing the world see, you know, through other people's eyes. That you can't replace that with AI, um, thankfully. <laughs> I'm sure someone will try. Yeah, but you know, yeah, exactly. Um, but that's... and I think from a, you know, yeah, go on. No, 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 go ahead. I I don't know where I was going. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry, I thought you were done. Um, no, it's interesting, and I think particularly in the documentary space. 
like you said, I can see where it's really helpful for doing all the behind the scenes stuff, you know, writing up everything. But is it even helpful with doing things? I guess you need to learn about a particular like a person or what they're involved in or what their business is or whatever. And and it's really good at doing the summarization for that. And like you said, sort of cutting down paragraphs, which I think is totally ironic that, you know, my they put you in school and they say you need to write a six-page paper on this particular topic mm. when in the real world if you gave somebody a six-page paper they'd be like can you summarize this in six paragraphs please and it's like yeah. it's totally backwards um but anyway ai is brilliant at doing exactly that kind of thing and i, I wonder if it's have you have you used it for things like trying to understand maybe what questions you want to ask people or is that something that's just instinctive to you and you know what to ask and you know how to do the interviews to get the right information out. Yeah, I I've personally not used it for that. I'm sure you well, obviously you could do. I for me it's an instinctive process. I mean I think I guess as part of the research phase if it's something I really don't know much about and I need to know certain things then it you know I think you, I would probably use it in that instance. But generally speaking I think uh, you know an interview is a bit like this it's a conversation. And, you know, you see where that conversation goes. Um, <clears throat> and, I, and even from a creative perspective, like, interestingly, on this project that we're currently working on, the producer, writer, and I were working on um, some, like, very, very quickly, you know, some treatment ideas. Um, and the client then ended up plugging it through ChatGPT to kind of see what else could be done with it. And it and it came back and it was it was so very for me, it was so very obviously written by ChatGPT. And I think that's something that I've you know become acutely aware of when you look through LinkedIn. I'm I'll put my hand up and say I'm terrible at social media. It's just not something I particularly enjoy. Um doesn't doesn't give life to me. But when I do yeah you know, have a little hunt around you know on LinkedIn or um very, very occasionally on Facebook. It's just amazing how obvious the AI posts are. It really is. Um, and I think, I don't know whether people realise that, um, but I think it is a little bit, I think that's where things can become a bit disappointing is where creativity ends up being sucked out and probably being replaced by laziness because these tools are, they are brilliant and they're, they're really great, but I think there's no excuse for you know, dropping the ball on, on creativity because of, yeah, these tools are there. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. And it's, I was on a call the other day and somebody mentioned the fact they said, oh, I can always tell when it's AI because it puts a comma before and in the, um, in a list of items. And I was like, no, right. but that's called the Oxford comma. <laughs> I was like, you know, <laughs> but it's interesting though, for, for someone from, the UK where you don't really use the Oxford comma as opposed to the U S where that's what we're taught in school. It's that's a key giveaway to someone here, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't be a clue to someone in the U S for example. So, you know, and, and obviously the spelling, it's almost always U S spelling. Even if you tell it that you're in the UK and you wanted to use UK spelling, it still uses American spelling for some reason. It just can't figure it out. But mm -hmm. Aside from, you know, the, those are the little clues that you can find aside from the fact that it's, you know, written in a quite formal, it's always quite, quite formal, I think, and it's business speak most of the time. And I think that's because the core training of them were on academic papers, because those were the first, I think that's the first bit of content that the, that the researchers had access to. So they just yeah. trained it on academic stuff. And so it, it ends up sounding very academic or at least most of it does to me. And then when you, and then if you ask it to do something a little bit more poetic or a little bit more creative, then it just goes way the other end. And it's like, <laughs> just does not sound real. Yeah. Have you tried Claude.ai? No, I should check that out. Try Claude. Claude's <laughs> really interesting because in my experience, it seemed, I don't know what's going on with my video either. Do you see it? Flashing? You're flashing. I have no <laughs> idea why it does that. Um, Anyway, 
it's slightly annoying. It's not doing it on my camera. Sorry, we're totally off track now, but it's for anybody, if you actually saw this, it's like my video is just flashing like mad, but it's not doing it on my camera. So I have no idea why it's doing that. Anyway, um, yeah, Claude.ai, I find if you're trying to write anything that's like more emotional or something that's a bit more personal, Claude is really, really good at that. And I have no idea what they've done in the background to make it work that way. So top tip, if you're trying to do something like that, maybe try Claude and see what it's like um, and see if maybe it, it does something a little bit better. But the few times I've asked it to do things like that, the results have been amazing. Wow. Well, I'll check it out. Okay. Yeah, I think with some of the some of the tools that yeah, from a post production point of view, obviously a yeah, massive time saver for us and also cost saver. I think you know, back again pre pandemic, yeah, we'd come back from a shoot and we'd have to send off interviews to be transcribed with, you know, Rev or whoever else, um, spending money, time, doing all of that. And yeah, we've we've switched over to Resolve, which was mainly because I think a lot of people finish films in Resolve, and since they've improved the editing stuff in there, it feels a better tool for us. But yeah, to be able to straight out in the timeline, create transcripts that are locked to the time code, so then when you're doing a dialogue cut, you can literally just highlight a bit of text, hit the little down arrow, it drops it to the timeline. So if a very very quickly and a simple tool that you know you don't even yeah. need to be like a seasoned editor to be able to use so yeah. um it's that is a huge time saver to break the back on a story you know in the in the post-production but also hold there's so many other things you know obviously you dropped in like you know audition and you know we've we've often used isotope over the years and there are so many or great audio plugins out there that can you know, remove, I don't know how, I literally have no idea how it works. It's all crazy. Yeah, removing background sounds. And actually, the, even the built-in one on Resolve is, I think it's quite incredible. We've, you know, we've done a lot over the last couple of, even still over the last couple of years since we're out of the pandemic, we're still doing for some of our international nonprofits, you know, edit projects that are based around, um zoom interviews and stuff that's been shot locally that's sent over to us and i think that's been a really positive move from the pandemic is that it's forced some of these non-profits to think a bit more creatively about how to create content and not always fly crews out spending all that money when actually there are some things that could be done really well locally but sometimes you know the, the quality of the content can be sometimes can be amazing other times it can be quite extraordinary, but yeah, they're like some of those AI tools in Resolve for like cutting out audio, like de you know, removing reverb and things like that is yeah. is amazing. Um, yeah. A huge time saver. Yeah, and it's. I think there's a lot of discussion these days about democratizing AI and making sure that everybody can use it. But I think part of what AI is doing is it's democratizing a lot of industries. For example, video. I mean, you had YouTube, but I think even over the past, well, up until, a, let's say, the pandemic, but even a little bit after that, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking in the last 12 months, we've taken a massive, excuse me, a massive step forward in what we're able to do. Because even 18 months ago, I mean, you could get a transcript done automatically, but it was still kind of wonky and it was a bit expensive and the tools weren't great. Now, anybody, basically, that's free and everything. If, if you've just got a piece of software like I use, you know, it's Primer Pro. Primer Pro generates it. You can do editing straight in the text like you can do. Do you know what I mean? You can do the same thing in Adobe Audition now. And it's it's literally democratized that whole thing. And you right. combine that with mobile phones that can record in 4k that give you you know if you've got an iphone with you know a, a separate app or even the app that just the camera app that comes in the phone i mean the quality of the film that you can get out of that i mean 
you know, 10 years ago, that would be a $30,000 camera. Yeah. And now you've just got it in your hand in a phone. And if you, Mm. you know, then you've got a free editing tool that you can go in that has, you know, some settings and some things, or maybe, you know, you spend 30 pounds on getting a, you know, some sort of a plugin or something for it. And the next thing you know, you know, somebody sitting at home who plays around with it for, you know, a few hours can make something that's, I won't say it's as good because it won't be as good as a professional can do, but it'll be damn close. Oh, it really is. And that, uh, you know, I think is really exciting. And I think particularly when I think about our work in the kind of nonprofit and also sustainability work is the fact that those tools have become more readily available means that, okay, it reduces the kind of the amount of work that we potentially could do. Um, but from a world perspective, yeah, if we don't, if I don't need to travel to, you know, Rwanda to go and shoot a story because there's someone there who's able to go and shoot that and we can kind of collaborate on the storytelling, then why not? I do, actually do remember working um a friend of mine we were working on a project ages ago and it was like a last minute it was a last minute project it was the first time that he'd ever done it and he directed a shoot from the uk with an ipad so the so the dp went out like literally set up an ipad next to the camera and then uh, you know, my friend over here was, you know, talking to the camera, was having a conversation like we're doing right now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they had the ca- they had the camera set up like really really nice camera set up over there. But yeah, it meant that he didn't have to, you know, fly all the way over to Seattle or wherever it was, you know, for the expense, but also the carbon footprint. So I think there's uh, some, something really good to be said about all of that. Um, the the podcast that's coming out tomorrow. I was talking to a guy who um, has been an audio engineer for 20 years. He used to work for the BBC and everything. And one of the things that he was saying on the, in the show, which I didn't, I kind of in the back of my mind knew that it happened, but I never really thought about it. But he said, how many, how many records do you think are recorded with the musicians in the same room? And he's like, they don't have to do that anymore. He's like, we've done shows where you've had the person singing in LA and the person, you know, playing the piano would be in the UK, for example, and they're live at the same time, but they're pulling this together, but they don't even have to be in the same room anymore. And I was like, the, like, like that just totally blew my mind. Cause I was like, you know, the technology behind that and the, like, cause I would think something like that, you, you know, you need the interaction between the musician and the singer and there's a lot of feel to it and all that. And, you know, you've got to have, if there's any delay in that, then that can throw all that off and it, it could make it really awkward. But he said, no, you know, he said it happens all the time, you know, and, and, and it's that kind of thing that's, that's, you know, I never really thought about someone directing remotely either, but I guess you can do anything remotely these days. So it just, you just got to crack on with it. Yeah. That whole music production thing is, is brilliant. I remember, I don't know, probably 10 or so years ago, I think Logic Pro were trying to do something like that. And it was so jangly and it just literally didn't work. And I even remember during the pandemic trying to do some some kind of like live music just for fun, you know, on Zoom. It's like, this just does not work. It's just the latency just becomes a horrible mess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I, but yeah, feel- I think the, the remote directing thing, I think, is, is, is pretty, pretty cool. That's amazing. So, so on that, actually, it makes me wonder, I mean, you've been doing this for, you know, 22 years, something like that. How have you seen the progression just of technology in general? Do you know what I mean? And, And then thinking about how far it's come over the past 20, 22, 25 years to then thinking, where do you think, like, what's the next evolution of this? Where do you think we're going to go next? Yeah, I mean, I think possibly where I started out and that, that those early years, yeah, it's one of the most exciting times, I think, in tech development. Like, I remember getting my first red camera, yeah, when they came out, you know, the red one. 
and that thing was just incredible. And, it, and I think it was the price point that was mo- almost most amazing because there were like <laughs> yeah. super, there were super high end cameras that were around that time, but they were used on you know, major Hollywood blockbuster movies that, you know, to get a camera body would have been like 150 grand or whatever. And all of a sudden, Red came out with this body that, I mean, it was not the most stable thing, but which is fine for us because, you know, we were doing documentary things with, you know, understanding clients, you know, and it was cool, but it was like something, I think it was like 17 or $18,000 for the body. I mean, you had to buy other bits and bobs for it, but it's like, this thing shoots 4K, what? That's amazing. And, you know, slow motion in 4K was so cool. But I think what you know has happened since then is obviously then with the DSLRs, like the I remember yeah, the five D Mark II when that came out was yeah. a huge game changer for the industry and being able to use photographic lenses so you can get that nice cinematic depth of field. And I think what's interesting, yeah, we're we've been kind of slightly pushing back on that. You know, you can see a lot of a lot of content out there that's so shallow that you don't really get to see the context of the setting so i think people are now kind of moving a little bit away from the like the super shallow stuff but the tech has just got smaller and smaller and i think you know you picked up earlier about like the iphone i you know i did a channel four shoot um i don't know a year or so ago where i used there was a few shots that went in the tv show that were shot on my iphone <laughs> and literally you could not tell because they yeah. just look great they it's look crazy. really really good it's crazy um, isn't it and so I think that's probably where things are going to go in terms of just the base level. I mean, the lighting for us is also is a huge thing. So, you know, up until a few years ago, yeah, to get like daylight quality lights would need, you know, huge, huge lighting fixtures with, you know, the appropriate power supplies to go with it. Whereas now, you know, you can travel with an LED that's light it doesn't get really hot and you can plug it into a conventional power socket and get really good quality controllable light you know where you can change the color temperature so all of that stuff is just making you know and even like the you know the flat led panels i remember when they came out it was like what this is amazing you mean i don't have to take that whopping great bag on this shoe exactly. i can literally just roll this yeah. roll this thing up stick it in my, my carry-on and i think that's you know we're we're able to more than often take our principal kit as carry on when we travel, you know, for fear of, you know, stuff getting broken and lost, which let's face it, that has happened quite a few times for us. You know, tripods get, don't make it. And, you know, so I think it's the, yeah, kit getting smaller lenses, I think is probably, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have the vision for how lenses can, improve because you know you you look at a lens that's you know 50 years old and if it's been well looked after just looks special and i think that was the bit of advice i was given when i started out by a brilliant photographer from the states who said he always said invest in good lenses because the camera tech is is always going to change and that, that was he wasn't even shooting digital at the time i think he was just on film but he's like you know you buy invest in a good lens, it will serve you for life. And and I've seen that, you know, with the lenses that we've got, you know, they're as good today as they were, you know, 20 years ago, 10, 15 years ago or so. Um, and yeah, the camera bodies, you know, you could have like a tiny little camera body, but that's where yes, yeah, the difference I think with you know, the iPhone is you know, how they handle light and all that kind of stuff doesn't doesn't match up to like a really beautiful lens but you could have a a really cheapo camera body with a you know fifty thousand dollar lens and it's going to look incredible whereas if you have a yeah 100 quid lens on a fifty thousand quid body it's yeah not gonna look great 100 percent. and that's when i started off in photography much like you i i started off and was sort of a an amateur semi-pro photographer for a while and I got taught the same lesson very quickly. And it's like, you know, you've got to get the light without geeking out too much. I'm I'm really resisting the urge to just deep dive into all of that. But, um, but yeah, you know, uh, 
the lens makes such a difference, which is, you know, I have a small, tiny little, I've got a Sony ZV-E10 or whatever it is, right, that I just do now that I have for my home studio. And it's perfect, but I just bought a prime lens for it, which is really, really nice. And, you know, it gives nice shallow depth of field, but it's not too shallow. And, you know, the quality that it gives is incredible compared to something even five years ago. And it's, you know, like you said, the tech is just going and going and going. And I wonder, yeah, I'm sure somebody's going to shove AI. They're going to call it AI, but it's just going to be some sort of electronics that go in a lens that maybe they can, you know, try and correct some of the, you know, color, do some color correction or some sort of something in the lens, or, you know, it's going to get better at following focus or I don't know, something. I'm sure somebody will figure out a way to call it AI and put it in a lens. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's probably going to be more down to the camera bodies, and I think it'll be down to like how how to use AI to for image stabilization, and it could even be things like autofocusing and you know, aperture, so be able to read the, the the light balance in a space and make intelligent decisions on. Which is actually, to be honest, that would be brilliant because that's always been a bugbear of mine. If not that we very often use like auto exposure, but like I've, auto exposure never really works. And so I think that would be a, would be an advancement, you know, where it's intelligently like you know, my background here, you know, knowing that it's not it's judging the aperture based on what you are obviously filming as opposed to like a general exposure of the whole image. So I think that that kind of stuff could get smarter. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what else they could do, really. Yeah, I guess I, I well, I think there could be cataloging, cataloging, and naming of clips. That would be would be a brilliant thing, and that's obviously something that is, from a post point of view, is just going to get better and better. Of you know, as you're ingesting content, you know, all the metadata surrounding it. So that could be potentially built into the camera tech. You know, so it's able to, you know, as you're going, be, you know keywording stuff and starring images that maybe were performed better by the cameraman i mean you can imagine the dp say stop stop coming up with these ideas (laughs) (laughs) i love it though that's do you know what that's i hadn't thought about that and that feels like a really good feels like a startup in there somewhere but um okay yeah if no one's doing it already (laughs) but yeah but again what's interesting though for me is is that you've you've already gone back to what's an actual business application for this that can take the tedious tasks, right? We're not talking about the creative part of it. What we're talking about is the tedious bullshit that you have to do that takes hours and hours. Like if anybody out there has ever shot, you know, hundreds or thousands of photos, and then you try and categorize and tag all that stuff. And I know Mm. Google and some of the other platforms are now trying to get a little bit better about that, but that would... You're absolutely right. That's an that's an insanely useful use for an AI tool because it can interpret and it and it can come up with tags that you might not even think about. You know what I mean? And and it can create a whole bunch of stuff. It could talk about feel, it could talk about all sorts of things that you may not think to tag. And then adding all that stuff to the metadata of the images which then creates its own problem because now it's just exploding the size of the image because you've got all the metadata and all the other stuff. But, mm. but that's I, mean, I guess business. that's... Go ahead. That is a business. I know, well, that is a business. And I think that is... I mean, it's probably more likely to be built into the post-production workflow. Um, but I think, I think it could be great, though, from a set... Like, if you imagine you've got, like, a producer with an iPad that's wirelessly connected to a camera there's automatically you know feeding information like got sentiment analysis in there figuring out like oh that yeah the talent sounded a little bit moody in that shot let's see yeah this one is let's give that one three stars that kind of stuff would would be great but i think it's more likely to happen in a post-production workflow and that in many ways that is something around this new business that i've you know, I'm in the process. So I finally submitted for this Innovate UK <laughs> right. grant yep. a couple of weeks ago. That was a big process. Um, but is is around this whole idea of how to kind of curate and ingest and catalogue content um, 
So yeah, lots, lots there. That's, that's interesting. I know that there are, so I've, I've worked with a lot of big data companies and, and particularly around public sector and transport. And one of the ways they've been using similar tools. Now, this was before AI became popular and everything was just machine learning. Um, but they've been using machine learning to try and understand from autonomous vehicles when there's, say, a near miss and then trying to analyze those near misses. So you've got 15 terabytes of data from a, one vehicle for one day. So you've got vast amounts of data that you're wow. trying to churn through and you can't watch all that footage. So you have to process it somehow. So what you do is you feed it into a, a machine learning tool, which then goes through and it identifies instances where it thinks something might be a near miss. And then what they had people, well, they had people manually looking at those. And then if they said, yes, that qualifies as a near miss, the people had to manually tag all of the things that they could think about that particular image so that they could then go back and start to do some analysis to see if there was anything in common. So for example, you know, does the, does the vision on the vehicle struggle at dawn or dusk? Because the lighting's quite awkward. It's, it's okay mm. if it's totally dark and at night and it's okay if it's totally light during the day. And there goes my video again. Um, <laughs> but, but it doesn't, it doesn't really work in those kind of mixed conditions or, you know, is it one of those, is it one of those roads that's got a lot of canopy over the top? And you know how, when the sunlight comes through, it's like just kind of strobing in your eyes almost. And it was, but they had to have people do that. They couldn't have the, the tool couldn't figure it out. And so mm. it's interesting that you say that because that could be another, maybe an application you hadn't thought of, but that's another instance where, you really need to be able to analyze that stuff. And if you're going churning through, you know, if you think you've got tens of thousands of vehicles on the road or hundreds of thousands of Teslas, you know, they must have some tools that they're using AI to churn through some of that stuff to find, to find that. Yeah. I think that's the thing that, you know, every, a lot of this stuff has been developed. And I think, you know, I had a, an amazing conversation with a guy over the weekend who's, actually local to us who works in AI and machine learning. I was telling him a little bit about some of the stuff you know, I'm wanting to do. And I, again, you know, a few years ago, the cost to develop this kind of tech, so like for that company you're talking about, yeah, it would be a colossal amount of money. But those models, you know, have all a lot of those models have been built that can be adapted and tested and trained on other things. I mean it's a it's a world I don't you know hugely understand. But I think there's a you know a lot is possible you know, in terms of like gaffer taping this with that and you know what could we learn from the likes of a you know you know Tesla you know who've got models that are analyzing you know driver profiles and various different things like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I have a question for you. When you when you use like a Chat GPT or something like that. Do you feel the need to be polite to it? Oh, do you know what? I'm quite British, and so I am. I like. Would you mind, please? Awfully, terribly, <laughs> terribly. Yeah, <laughs> do it again. That was rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, actually, um, I did have a bit of a go at ChatGPT um, when I was. I think I might have told you this actually when we had coffee. So, as part of um, this government. In, you know, government grant I was trying to work out some quite complicated financial modeling and um so I was trying to get chat because I you know I did this I did statistics at a level but that was quite a long time ago and so some of those things and I've done I did do my MBA but we didn't go hugely into you know the details of compound you know churn rates and all that yeah. kind of stuff so anyway so i i thought oh do you know what i bet chat gpt could help me figure this out because so i knew i knew what i needed to do but like it was just the time to try and figure out the the actual equation i couldn't find anything suitable on google so i was like go went on to chat gpt and then i and i fed it some of my numbers and said okay so how would this work out and i was looking at it and 
the the actual results didn't they didn't add up and so you know so i got it to do it a couple of times and every time it came out slightly differently and then eventually i went and found you know a proper scientific calculator and did did the sum myself <laughs> yeah and yeah. then I had to go and tell tell um chat gpt off and say surely the answer is this and it kind of came back saying oh my apologies i must have got that wrong <laughs> but it did make me think my goodness yeah i wonder how many financial institutions are missing a few you know decimal points somewhere and yeah. how many trillions of dollars are being misrepresented around the world i i think I think what people are finding is that you can't ask it. If you ask it what two plus, I think now like basic arithmetic, it knows, but in the beginning you could say what's two plus two and it'd be like seven because it, it's not doing the math. It's doing the language. Right. And it's looking at linguistic patterns, not mathematical patterns. And this gets into something that I, I think is going to happen, which is I think what you're going to find is, is if you, in the future, you're going to interact with, I don't know, some AI assistant. And you can say to your AI assistant, you could give it that information, say, hey, I'm trying to accomplish this. Here are the numbers. How how would you recommend that I approach it? And your assistant is not going to know, but your assistant is going to be connected to a, a, a mathematics AI that would know. Mm-hmm. And so what it'll do is on your behalf, it will go out, it will reach out to that a to that maths AI, it will have it do that and come back to you with an answer that it gets from there. So it's not going to know, it's just going to know someone who does know. And it'll be the same sure. if you want to play chess or if you want to play Go or you want to, you know, whatever. Then you say, hey, I'd like to play chess. And you go, okay, great. You know, it'll say, okay, great, I'll play chess with you. And then instantly it just connects to a chess AI and it just passes through the information. And I think that's where we're going to end up. And it's not, all it's going to be good at is the conversational part. But if you ask it details about anything specific, like engineering or, I don't know, chemistry or physics or mass or anything like that, it will go out to another narrow AI tool that can answer those questions and do the interaction. Well, that sounds good. Is that, I don't know whether I don't know whether you've used Agent GPT. Agent I don't know GPT, whether that. No. Yeah, so I don't know whether that's something a little bit like that, maybe, where it kind of goes off and uses different tools. So where ChatGPT is obviously, I think there are different plugins you can get now for ChatGPT. I've not really experimented much with that. Yeah, there there but, are I. I think you were limited, or at least you used to be. I I do actually pay for it, but it's another one of those tools that I used a lot in the beginning, but I don't actually use it a lot now. I do use mm. it two or three times a week, but I don't kind of use it like I used to. Like going back to something we talked about earlier, I used to use it when I very first started doing the podcast. I used to use it to try and help me come up with what I thought were interesting questions to to ask people and unusual questions to ask people so I could like you said, do a bit of research on their industry and mm-hmm. what they did and on them and then say, give me some interesting questions. But, but what I found is, is that it, even though it gave me interesting questions that didn't help in a conversation, and it, it ended up breaking up the conversation. Do you know what I mean? And it was yeah. like, then it just turned into more of like a, like a, I don't know, a news story, or it felt more like a, like a journalistic interview. And that's not what I want to do. I just want to talk to people. So I don't even mm-hmm. use it for that anymore. Um, I do use AI tools to do all the summaries of all the episodes though, and to do things like suggest titles and, you know, give me a summary. It goes out. I have tools that go out and create all the timestamps and all the, you know, the chapters and all that stuff afterwards. Um, do you use it for cutting as well? Maybe I mean, I've not, we've not tried that, um, ourselves, but I know a number of editors who use like premiere to do suggested cuts like so here's the, here's an hour's interview cut it down for me for into yeah. 20 minutes or whatever i haven't i don't have one that does that i do have a plug-in for prem that if you have a multi-camera setup it will actually cut and do all your multi-cam stuff for you and mm-hmm. what you do is you basically just highlight all of it and then you can play through it and at any point 
you can decide. I mean, it will, it does like speaker priority basically is what it does in the beginning. But then if you have like a, a wide camera shot as well, it will incorporate those in occasionally too. So mm -hmm. it gives you this, just if you don't do anything, it will literally give you, you know, a nice cut almost with some kind of L and J type joins to it as well to kind of yeah. get a little bit more drama. And it's not just jump cuts the whole time. And it, it's really good at that. But if you want to then go in and play it back, you can then just literally just click on a button and decide which camera you want to use, but you can take it from, you can use it from a Riverside thing where I might have two cameras and you might have two cameras. And do you know what I mean? We could have four different mm. shots and it would actually go back and redo that. So that's the tool I have, but I've not tried anything to actually edit content and edit it down. Um, I would think that'd be interesting, but also a bit risky. That's risky. Cause yeah. Cause it's, yeah. yeah it's, <clears throat> and it's, and you'll know this for sure. And this is just something that I've learned, but hopefully you, you, hopefully I'm right. But I think it's, I think it's hard to edit something that you've done maybe because you have your own, like I have my own ideas about what I think is interesting in a podcast episode and the things that I found interesting. But if I gave that to you of, of some conversation that I had with somebody else and I gave it to you and said, look, can your editor edit this down into, you know, half an hour, they would probably pull out different things than I would pull out. Mm -hmm. And there's that whole creative piece of, you know, who's right. Well, no one's right. It's just different approaches yeah. to it. And I would find that challenging with an AI, I think, because I'd be like, well, why is it choosing this? Hmm. But I guess that's where, uh, as this is one of the things that I am finding quite interesting, I'd love to understand more about or how it could, how it could be implemented is how to use AI to guide editorial based on how it's going to perform with the end user. So, you know, I, you know, I've often had this argument with editors, you know, where, you know, they'll come to me like, oh, this is what you know, I thought I'd put together here and it'd be different from how I see it. And there's always that kind of power dynamic, but also I've got to be okay sometimes to let things go in a sense that I'm not, I'm not always going to be right. I know that. And, you know, I've got to be open to the fact that someone else's idea might actually be... <laughs> It might actually be the right thing in the same way with AI that actually the what an AI engine might come up with could actually be on the money. But I guess that's how you know how things could be tested. So kind of A and B testing on YouTube with multiple cuts of a story, yep. to figure out how people interact, you know, where's the engagement levels, and then to then adapt the edit based on that information. I think that's could be quite interesting. As far as I know, and I'm not a I'm not a monetized creator on YouTube yet, so I don't know if maybe there's some tools I don't know about. But from what I under from what I know, there's no way on YouTube to A B test things. So if you put two versions of the same bit of content up, they're gonna strike you because it's the same content and they don't like that. Yeah. But it would be I do wonder if once you reach a certain you know, sort of partnership level with them if they do have a tool where they can you can put in the same video but with different titles and descriptions and maybe thumbnails and then a b test those to see which one performs better and if i'm sure people have asked for it even if they don't have it so this isn't my original idea but um, <laughs> but you're absolutely right you know and i i often wonder and i don't remember if we talked about this when we talked before but it makes me think of when they did the when they were using AI to see if they could um, find women who had breast cancer. And I promise there is a link here. And when they started, they thought that it was really inaccurate because it kept giving all these false positives. And they're like, well, it's identifying this, but you know, there's nothing there. And it wasn't until four years later that they realized that it was so far ahead that these women were, did actually have breast cancer, but it was identifying it so far in advance that they didn't even think that was possible. So they wow. had to go back. The doctors had to go back and rethink the whole thing. And then they started to doubt all their results because they're like, well, maybe this thing is actually way smarter than we, smarter, but more accurate yeah. than, than we gave it credit for. And <clears throat> your example, I've, 
exactly talked to someone about before because a lot of times I would go into ChatGPT and I would say, hey, you know, brainstorm, give me five titles that would convert really highly for this YouTube video. And it gives me back titles and I look at them and I go, but I wouldn't use that. But then there's this little bit in the back of my mind going, but maybe that's me not understanding what's convertible, like what's going to convert. Yeah. And, and maybe I should try it, even though it doesn't feel right to me. What's my goal? Is my goal to get people to, to click on the video and to watch it? Or is my goal to have it say something that I think it should say? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And that's, that is interesting. And I, you know, I don't think we'll find the answer out until AI tells us probably. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. But I, I, that story of the kind of the cancer kind of reminds me of uh, another kind of a si- similar example. Of, I think it's an Israeli company who were able to predict a cholera outbreak somewhere in Central America that hadn't, that had like it got rid of cholera for, you know, I don't know, several decades. And it was tracking like weather patterns and it was tracking human traffic around the world. And it, yeah, basically, yeah, they said, oh, in two years time, there's going to be a cholera outbreak. I can't remember the country off, off the top of my head right now. And then everyone's like, oh, that will never happen. You know, we, we got rid of cholera 20 years ago. And then, you know, a year later, there's going to be a, this cholera outbreak within a year. And then within six months, and sure enough, there was. There was. But, yeah. what, was, but what was amazing is that, that because of that, you know, predictive information, they were able to have, you know, boots on the ground with the kit available, medicines available to to make sure that it wasn't going to be that big a problem. And, but it was just amazing to think how using weather patterns, analyzing human movement, they could predict that. Doesn't that, if you take, so that's a fantastic example. I've never heard that. So I will research that and I'll find a link to it and I'll put it in the show notes. So everybody, if you want to go and read it, you can find it. Um, But that kind of stuff just scares the crap out of me because if they can predict that sort of thing, what can Mm. intelligence agencies, for example, predict and what can our, what can bad actors predict? (laughs) Makes you think, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? <laughs> this can all get well. quite scary if we uh, if we let it. Um, Tim, I'm conscious we're we're over an hour now already. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for your time. We could, like I, I said this to um, Adam the other day. I mean, we could you know go full Joe Rogan and probably chat for three hours, but I'm not sure <laughs> that that would be that'd be great for either one of us. Um, but <laughs> thank you very much for your time today. Do you want to? give a shout out to any of the projects that you're working on. Can people go see some of your work? Like is brave blue world still on Netflix or is there somewhere they can see it or yeah. anything you want people yeah. to watch? Um, so brave blue world is still on Netflix. Um, one of the projects I, you know, I would still love to shout out We're we're hopefully going to kind of do a little bit more work on it this coming year. Cause the story has developed, but, Again, so just heading into the pandemic, we finished a doc called The Final Fix, which looks at the kind of the opioid crisis, predominantly obviously in the US, but as a revolutionary treatment that was developed 50 years ago by a Scottish doctor that claims it could bring you off any drug of addiction within a matter of, you know, maybe a week, a week or two. And that was, it's been held back by you know, the powers that be over many, many years. Um, but as a result of the screenings that we did just before the pandemic in on the capital in the US, um, managed to get it in front of some fairly influential people. So they are waiting the data from a quadruple blind FDA trial. It's the first time in 50 years they've managed to get it um, on that path because every right. time the rug gets pulled. So hopefully within this next couple of months, that treatment will be approved by the fda um unless there's some other nefarious thing that goes on but anyway i think that project is hugely exciting because yeah we our film so we had ewan mcgregor narrating it which i thought was brilliant you got the scottish but also 
the well well known heroin addict, not in real life, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and we feature some guys out in a rehab facility in Kentucky who, you know, in front of our eyes, came clean, having tried for many many years using. Yeah, suboxone, using abstinence, using you know methadone and various different things, and have, had failed. And within, I mean, I, I thought it sounded too good to be true, but within 15 minutes of these guys plugging on this neuroelectrical therapy, which I'm sure, in fact, almost certain uses some kind of AI stuff in in there, yeah. but it targets yeah. the the neuro pathways, and it's like gentle tapping stimulation, a bit like a tens machine. Right. So okay. the brain yeah. brain can produce serotonin and um, endorphins to provide natural pain relief that's been subdued by addiction so anyway it's yeah within 15 minutes these guys are you know you can even without asking them how they are they're like oh man you can see it looks it's amazing so that's really exciting um so is that sorry is that out already or is that still there is to come out it's well there's there is a version behind a paywall on amazon prime um, but we, I, okay. it is something that I would like to re-pick up because I think the story has, you know, the story has developed quite a lot. But I think it, I would just yeah encourage your listeners just to keep their eyes out for what we're working on because we've got some pretty exciting stuff that I can't really go into at the moment um, in terms of both documentary projects, um, but also this new startup, Change Creators, which is going to be very exciting. Awesome. Well, anybody that's curious, I mean, obviously we'll stay in touch. We're both local and and in the media group together, so I'm sure we'll see each other around. But as soon as anything comes out or there's anything, you know, that you want me to to mention, I'm happy to do that. We'll put it on the LinkedIn page and on our social media accounts and stuff like that for you. So we'll be more than happy to do that when it comes out. Awesome. And, And like I said, I'll put links to all this in the show notes. So if anybody's curious and wants links to all this stuff, so I've got, you know, I'll put a link to some Brave Blue World stuff, Final Fix, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. And if anybody wants to find you and, and needs uh and needs a documentary produced, I assume you're the man. Yes. Well thank you. It's really good to chat with you. Awesome. Thanks Tim. Well have a good afternoon and I'll speak to you soon. Yeah. Take care. Cheers. Bye bye. See bye bye. Creatives with AI is a proud member of the AI Podcast Network. To stay up to date with current episodes and show information, subscribe to their newsletter at podcastnetwork.ai. And don't forget to follow the show on your favorite podcast platform so you'll always get the episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks again for listening and stay curious. Curious. Curious.